We're excited you guys are here. Now, when we announced that we were going to be doing a series on miracles, we got generally three sorts of reactions. The first reaction looked a little something like this. This came from the charismatics, you know, who carry around their anointing oil with them everywhere they go. They got a hip flask. They're ready to pull it out at any point. Charismatics got really excited, heart eyes all over the place. Then we got this reaction. That came from the uh, Baptists with their hands in their pockets, you know? And they're like, seriously, you guys are going to talk about miracles? Can we stop getting the Pentecostals all riled up? Can we just focus on Jesus and his life and death and resurrection? That's all we need to talk about. We certainly got that reaction. And let me say that to both of you groups, because our church is this awesome mix, it genuinely is, of people who come from very charismatic backgrounds and people who come from very Baptist backgrounds, and then like lots of other denominations, I mean, Roman Catholics and everything else in between. And the cool thing is we all come together. Together, despite our differences in uh, maybe theological understanding, certainly in, in the ways that we were raised and educated in the scripture, and we still form one body. We're still able to get along. We're still able to love and serve each other. And I think that's part of the reason that Connect is just continuing to attract more and more people, because you don't have to fit a specific mold in order to belong. Now, with that being said, I want to tell you guys up front that whether you fall into the charismatic camp or you fall into the stone-faced Baptist camp, that I am going to say some things over the next few weeks that thrill both of you and challenge both of you, all right? So I'm hoping that you'll just track with me, and even if I say something that you might disagree with, we can still love each other and have a good time worshiping Jesus together. So we had the heart eyes, we had the oh my goodness face, and then we also had this reaction, from the skeptics, right? Roll in their eyes like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You're going to talk about miracles? Seriously? How can any sane or logical person believe in miracles? Sure, people believed in miracles thousands of years ago, but today we know that miracles just don't happen. In fact, you believe as a skeptic, some of you might be here as skeptics, and I'm glad you're here. I really am. You are welcome among us. I say all the time that you don't have to believe exactly what we believe in order to belong. If you want to pursue faith, if you want to check it out, if you want to understand it better, if you're like having arguments in your head as I'm speaking today and you want to get together and have coffee and argue with me face to face, that's totally cool with me. We are glad you're here. But if you are a skeptic, then you probably believe that any talk about miracles is superstitious, it's certainly unscientific, and it's probably potentially harmful. And it might surprise you to hear me, the pastor of a Christian church, just say, you're right about that last part. There is the potential for certain beliefs about miracles to be harmful. An example of that would be anytime somebody is sitting at home waiting for a miracle to happen, and they should be going to the doctor. That's an example of a harmful belief about miracles. Anytime you happen to see some huckster, and he says to you, God can't bless you until you make a donation to our ministry. That's a belief in miracles that is harmful. Anytime a belief in miracles or the supernatural is used to stifle natural and proper curiosity and research, that's actually harmful. And I want you to know that at Connect Church, we are not that. We're going to talk about miracles, 
We're going to talk about them as if they're real, and they honestly do happen. But I want to acknowledge up front that some people have taken this doctrine, this idea, this truth, and they've twisted it in ways that actually could be harmful. And so today and and throughout the month of January, we're going to try to unravel some of this, trying to kind of straighten it all out, get a solid sense of what the Bible says and doesn't say, so that we can really experience the fullness of God in our lives every single day. Does that sound okay with you? I hope so, because we're not a a group of superstitious people here. We're a little stitious, but we're not superstitious, because some of us have experienced things in our lives that cannot be described through purely natural explanation. As we announced that we were going to be doing this miracle series, I started hearing story after story from people that are sitting in this auditorium today saying, hey, listen, this happened to me, and I've never been able to explain it, and as far as I'm concerned, it's a miracle. God, he intervened in my life, and I haven't been able to tell a lot of people because it seems weird and it sounds funny, but I'm so excited because I'm hoping you can give me some understanding for what has happened in my past. Now, I can tell you guys that one time in my entire life have I experienced something that I think was an undescribable miracle, just unexplainable, where God intervened in my life in a way that I could attribute to absolutely nothing else. And I'm going to tell you about that in week four. So you're going to have to come back in order to hear that story. I've never told this story preaching ever. I'm not 100% sure I've ever told this story to my wife. I think I might have, but as I'm going to talk about in week four, it's one of those things that even to this day, I question, did that really happen? Did I misunderstand? I mean, I just, I don't know how to make sense of all of this. So as we begin this series on miracles today, I want to begin by addressing not the the heart-eyed charismatics and not the stone-faced Baptists. I really want to talk to those of you guys who come from a skeptical perspective when it comes to the subject of supernatural and miracles. I want to address your arguments. I want to give you a framework for how you could possibly believe that there is a supernatural God that intervenes and interacts within our world, and yet you can still consider yourself a very sane and logical person. Now, I'll tell you guys up front, this message is going to be a little bit different than typical Sunday morning messages. It's going to be as much TED Talk as it is sermon. For some of you guys, that's a big thumbs up. For some of you guys are like, what? Okay, we've got to set the stage for the heavier theological work that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And so bear with me as we kind of address the philosophical and scientific and skeptical arguments on the subject of miracles, all right? I'm hoping that everybody, no matter which of those emoji faces you might uh, identify with, I'm hoping that everybody by the end of this series will agree with the words of the book of Job. In Job chapter number five, verse nine, the scripture says, God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed and miracles that cannot be counted. That's my goal, that you would agree with that. You may not understand it. You certainly won't be able to fully explain it, but that you would believe it is possible. So let's start by defining the word miracle. When we say miracle, what are we even talking about? There are a bunch of different ways we could define it. So let's get one definition that we can roll with throughout the entire series. A miracle, they are the acts of a supernatural God within the natural universe. So a God who exists outside of our universe 
but who acts within our universe. I like this definition because it's not too broad and it's not too narrow. It's not so specific that only a small group of people could ever agree with it. And it's not so vague in general that everything becomes a miracle. Because over the next four weeks, we're not going to be talking about like, wow, it's all so miraculous. We're not going to do that. This isn't like, we're not using the term miracle loosely, where you say, oh my gosh, my husband put down the toilet seat. It's a miracle. We're not using it like that. We're not using the word miracle in the sense of this mayonnaise substitute is so good We can only call it a miracle whip. No, we are talking about something that is much more powerful and substantive and transformative than those uses of the word miracle, okay? So that's going to be the definition that we use this week and throughout this series. A miracle is the act of a supernatural God within the natural universe. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about the arguments that you're going to hear from your family if you're a true believer. Let's talk about the arguments that are rattling around in your head if you're a skeptic and you're here this morning. Let's just jump in with the big one. Miracles are not scientific, right? We all could agree that most of our world believes that this is true, that miracles themselves are not scientific. Therefore, anybody who believes in them is not only unscientific, but they are irrational. That is, they probably can't be trusted. They might be a little touched, if you know what I mean. If they're walking around and believing that magic things happen in their lives. You see, most people in our world believe that miracles are impossible because they think that science teaches us that we live in a closed system. So I want you to imagine that this box is our universe, okay? It's nice. It's kind of small, but that's cool. This is our universe. And according to what most people in our world believe, what you know, people who claim to be very scientific will tell you, that this universe contains everything that currently exists or has ever existed, right? So Jesus, he's inside the box. He exists within there. That's a bobblehead Jesus from my desk, just to be clear. They tell you that all the nation states and political ideologies that have ever existed, they all belong here inside of this box. Um, You know, raccoons, Every other animal that's ever been there, that's also from my desk. I don't know. I just pulled stuff off my desk today. And even like the smallest and biggest things that are in our universe, like neutrons and neutron stars, they all exist inside of this box. And this box is closed. It's latched tight. Nothing comes in and nothing comes out. In fact, they would say that this box is all there is. To speak of anything outside of the box, anything that would be supernatural is nonsensical. Carl Sagan, who genuinely is one of my heroes, I love the guy, of course I don't agree with everything that he says, but I think he's so smart and he says such fascinating, or he said such fascinating things. He kind of summarized this belief system when he said, the cosmos, by which he means the universe, the everything that we can observe, taste, touch, smell, the cosmos is all there is and all there will ever be. Now, how many of you guys have heard some variation of that argument before? If you've had those conversations, maybe you heard it in in university, or uh, you've had this argument or idea rattling around in your head, 
But let me ask you, is the idea that our universe is a closed and airtight system, is that belief itself scientific? When we say, you can't believe in miracles because they're not scientific, is that argument, that statement itself scientific? Because if somebody is referring to science to prove your worldview wrong, and yet they themselves are not actually scientific in it, then it becomes kind of a weird scenario, doesn't it? it Maybe it's a flawed argument that we've never really considered. So let's define the word science. I'm so sorry to give you guys like all the grade five definitions today, but I want to make sure that we're not using the same words, but defining them in different ways. Do you know that's one of the biggest problems when it comes to discussion in our world, is that we use the same words, but we don't actually actually define them, and so we assume we're saying the same things, but in reality, we're miles apart. So I know this seems a little pedantic, and I'm sorry to do that to you, but I think it's important. So if we define science, and I just pulled a definition off of the dictionary, science is the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. That's a bit of a mouthful, but basically what it means is that science is what we observe and experiment on to learn about the box. What is the box like? What are the things in the box like? Where do they come from? What do we do with them? How can we use them? That's what science is all about teaching us. So let's go back to this idea of a closed system and whether or not that's even a scientific argument to be made. By definition, science only deals with stuff inside the box. That's the very definition of what science is. It cannot answer questions about what may or may not be outside of the box. That's not the purview or the point of what science is trying to do. So let me ask you, what science do we have that says there is nothing outside of our universe? What experiments have we done? How has the scientific method informed us that there is nothing beyond this ever-expanding universe in which we happen to find ourselves? The answer to that question really is none. There is no science that tells us anything about what may or may not be outside of the box because science can't answer that question. It's a little bit like asking your thermometer, how many miles are there between here and Banff? Your thermometer cannot tell you that kind of information. And science is not designed to answer supernatural questions. It's only designed to answer natural questions. Does that make sense? It's a little ironic then that most skeptics in our world, and I want to be very respectful. Again, if you're a skeptic, I get where you're coming from. I wasn't raised in the church. I was so skeptical growing up. I get it. I genuinely do. But most skeptics will appeal to science. They will say, oh, it's not scientific to believe in God. It's not scientific to believe in miracles. And they're appealing to a system, and they're arguing that that system gives certain answers Two questions it cannot even answer. That means that we need to change the conversation that we're having. We need to discuss this in slightly different 
ways. Now, before we get into that, again, I really want to emphasize, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, I am incredibly pro-science. I really am. Probably weirdly so for a pastor. Because as a pastor, do you know that I don't have religious tattoos? I have science tattoos. If you go to my office and you sat down at my desk, do you know what my desk is covered with? It's covered in Bibles and fossils. No lie. Because I think science is wonderful. And I think that the idea that there is a conflict between religion and science is false. I don't think there's any conflict between a faith system and a scientific system. In fact, for centuries, Christians have believed that science was a way to know God, and it was the primary way that we know his creation. For centuries, Christians were the leaders in all scientific advancements. It was because of their faith in a God who created an orderly and knowable system that they even started studying the world in the first place. So I don't think there's any conflict between religion or faith and science. You see, science, when you get right down to it, is agnostic. When you talk to science, science says, this is all we know about the box. And you say, well, science, is there anything outside of the box? And science says, I don't know. I'm not equipped to answer that sort of question. So if your idea or the skeptic's idea that miracles and the supernatural don't occur, if that didn't come from science, where does it come from? Well, it comes from a philosophy called naturalism. It comes from a worldview, a way of interpreting the evidence that science provides us that we call naturalism. So naturalism says that everything in the box, and even the box itself, is the result of only natural processes. Nothing supernatural, the box is all there is. So the Carl Sagan quote that I gave you earlier was itself not scientific. I mean, Carl has not been to the edge of the universe to check it out. It's not scientific, it's naturalistic. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? If you're a naturalist, okay, cool, you're entitled to that belief. No problem whatsoever. The issue is your belief as a naturalist that this box and the things inside of it are all there is and all there will ever be That argument is just as unprovable as my argument that God created the box and everything in it. It is just as much a belief system as what I believe, because you can't use science to prove what happened before the Big Bang or what exists outside of the box. So instead, you have to appeal to naturalism. And while naturalism can be a good thing and it's brought about some good things in the world, the truth is... It is a worldview. It is a position from which you look at the evidence that science gives us. You're on this side looking at the evidence. I'm on this side looking at the evidence. And the truth is, this is agnostic. Both of us are taking the evidence and we're spinning that out to make ultimate claims about the nature of reality. Both of us do it. My point is that every single person on the planet has a faith system. You do, and I do. 
that's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you an idiot or irrational. It makes you like every other person on the planet. Now, because neither one of us like admitting that we have a faith system, here's what we do. We try to claim science for our side. We run over here and we're like, no, science proves that this is all there is. And then I'll grab the box and I'll run over here and I'll say, no, 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 science leads us towards God. We both try to claim and even co-opt science, but as we've already said, religion and naturalism try to answer ultimate questions that science is not equipped to. So when we grab science and we try to claim it for our side, what ends up happening is we try to force it to do things that it was never intended to do. We do that because we think, oh, there's grounding. There's like better you know, stability, more meaning to my argument if I can claim science behind it. But we're both operating and arguing from a faith system. Now, with that in mind, I want to say something, and it's going to tick off the believers in the room, and it's going to tick off the skeptics, so here we go. Let's just anger everybody at once. If we are all ultimately arguing from a position of belief or worldview or faith that we cannot prove, and we are, that means we can't be 100% certain about the nature of reality. We can't be 100% certain. We can't prove it. And so we have to say there's at least the possibility that we are wrong. Now, as a pastor, I'll stand on this side of the box and I'll say there is the potential. I'll say there is the possibility that I'm wrong in what I believe. There is the possibility that the box is all there is and all there will ever be. I'll admit that. I don't think that's where the evidence points. And that possibility doesn't shape the way that I live my life day to day. But I'll admit the possibility. So let me ask you, who are skeptical, from your position, will you admit that our limited knowledge about this box that we live in means that it is at least within the realm of possibility that there's something outside of the box. That maybe the supernatural could exist. I'm not asking you to agree that it does. I'm asking you to admit that we all have a belief system, a faith position. So that means there is the tiniest fraction of a percent that we might be wrong. And if, as a skeptic, you won't admit that possibility, then which one of us has a closed mind and which one of us has an open mind? Okay, now you probably expect at this point that I'm going to give you kind of the standard explanation uh, from a Christian perspective of what miracles are. That is that there is a God who exists outside of space and time. And every so often, he needs something to happen inside of the box. You know, we start praying and he's like, oh, I guess I got to answer him. Or he's like, wow, I really need things to go this way and they don't seem like they're going to go that way. So I'm going to pop the lid on the box. I'm going to insert myself. I'm going to do some healings and things like that inside the box. And then after I've accomplished what I want, I'm going to pop the lid back on and I'm going to withdraw from outside of their natural world. That's probably what you expect me to, to teach you as a pastor. But can I say that that's actually a misunderstanding of what the Bible says when it comes to miracles? It is. Believe it or not, it's a misunderstanding. 
The idea that God is out here and every once in a while he pops in here and then he jogs back his own way. We could call that an openable system. The idea that our box can be opened and God can jump in whenever he wants to according to his own will and power. The problem is that doesn't really square with either the scientific knowledge that we have and it doesn't square with the biblical knowledge that we have either, okay? From the, Bibli- from the scriptures for perspective, God performs two kinds of miracles. The first one is what we might call an intervening miracle. An intervening miracle is the direct action of God in the natural world that temporarily contradicts or contravenes the usual laws and processes of the box. That's what we normally think of when we think of miracle. And if that's our only definition of miracle, then we have an openable system, one in which God shows up every once in a while We don't know when, we don't know how often, we don't always know when or why he's going to do it, but he does it every so often. But from what we read in the Bible, we learn that God not only does these intervening miracles, he also does what we might call sustaining miracles. And a sustaining miracle is the act of God to create and continue the laws and processes of our universe. You see, the laws and processes are wonderful, and they're knowable through science, and yet as Christians, we believe God is the one who kicked them off, and he's the one who sustains them so that they are logical and knowable in the 21st century. These laws, we might say, are describable by us, but they're not always explainable by us. And that's a pretty important distinction that we'll build on over the next few minutes, that it might be describable but that does not make it explainable. We can answer what and how, but we may not be able to answer why unless we consider the supernatural as well. So I want you to get this, okay? This is so incredibly important. God doesn't just intervene periodically. He actually sustains the entire system every single moment. He does these sustaining works, these miracles that when you honestly start to study them scientifically, they blow your mind. Let me give you an example. You're sitting in a chair this morning. You're either in a blue chair or a red chair. This middle section is all red chairs. You may not know it. Our theater manager here told us that the red chairs are the most uncomfortable seats in the entire complex. So congratulations on choosing the worst seat. Um, That's because they're those D-box rocking, moving chairs, you know? Um, So anyway, you're in a seat, and I might ask you this morning, is your seat solid? To which you would say, that's a dumb question. Of course my seat is solid. I'm sitting in my seat. And yet, that chair that you're sitting in is made up of atoms, right? We all remember that. And atoms, it turns out, are 99.999996% empty space. Empty space. So if you took one atom and you blew it up to the size of McMahon Stadium where the stamps play, the nucleus of that atom would be the size of a grain of rice at midfield. And all the electrons would be orbiting at the farthest reaches of the parking lot. And everything in between is empty space. So let me ask you again, the chair you're sitting in is 99.99996% empty space. Is it solid? Yes, and also no. Both of those things are true. How can that be? Well, there are ways to describe it. Can we fully explain it? I'm not sure that we can. 
And what's true, of course, of the chair you're sitting in is true, of course, of you. You're also made of atoms. And your atoms happen to be 99.99996%. I think I forgot a nine. Anyway, they happen to be 99% empty space. And yet, you're not empty space. You're you. The sum of your parts is greater, or the whole of you, rather, is greater than the sum of your parts. We can describe that, but we honestly cannot explain that. We might say the only word that we could use in the English language that would do justice both to the description we can give and our lack of ability to explain what's going on is miraculous. You want to get weirder? Always, always. Time is not what you think it is. Time is not what you think it is. In your mind, yesterday was in the past and tomorrow is in the future. That's the way it always works, right? Wrong. Einstein told us that the past is not always the past and the future is not always the future. That Time is actually experienced differently depending on your position and your velocity, your speed. So that means that if you travel close to the speed of light, you will zip into the future. Truly, we know how to time travel. It's just hard for us to do. And if you could somehow, and we know we really can't do this, but if you could somehow travel faster than the speed of light because of a quirk in our four dimensions, you would actually travel backwards in time. You would break the laws of cause and effect, and the effect would happen before the cause. That's ridiculous. No, that doesn't make sense at all. And yet it's true. We can describe it. We have no words to explain it. Maybe the best word would be a sustaining, miracle, miraculous work of God by creating this box that we are just beginning to crack and unravel and understand. I mean, I can keep going, you guys. Like, we could go a long way with this. We could talk about wave-particle duality and superposition, if you want to get super nerdy, where things exist in two mutually exclusive states at one time. It would be like me saying there's a dog and he's also a tree, and you're like, yeah, you are crazy. And yet we know that electrons and photons and all these subatomic particles, they exist in multiple mutually exclusive states at one time. It is, but we cannot explain it. I could talk to you for hours about how our universe seems to be so weirdly fine-tuned for us to exist. Scientists tell us that there are 150 different variables. And if these variables, like how close we are to the sun and how far the moon is away from us and how strong the, the nuclear, weak nuclear force is and on and on it goes, if any of those variables were just a fraction of a percent different, none of us would exist. We can describe it, but we cannot explain why it is. I mean, gosh, we could go on and talk about like quantum entanglement, which is the most bizarre thing in the world. Like we can take one electron and do something to it here, and the same results will happen on another electron instantaneously without any information, time, or distance between the two. So we can affect one particle here on earth, and we know, we've proven that we can cause the exact same effect on another particle almost 92 billion light years away on the other side of the universe 
instantaneously without any information passing between the two. Quantum entanglement. We can describe it, but language fails. There's like no way to explain what is actually going on here. We can argue and argue and argue about the interventions of God. But as a Christian, I believe that God is at work in the box, through the box, around the box, every single day. We're not just talking about the God of the gaps where we kind of learn things and it's like, oh, well, that wasn't God. Turns out it was just some fundamental force or things like that. No, we're talking about stuff that we honestly will never, ever understand. There is no possible way we could come to a conclusion on what these things are. So the biblical teaching is not that we live in a closed, sealed system. The biblical teaching is not that we live in an openable system where God pops in every so often to say, hi, how are things going? The biblical teaching is that we live in an open system. There is no lid. There are no walls. There is no floor. God is at work all the time in ways that you understand, in ways that you've never thought of, in ways that we might come to explain and describe, and yet in ways that we will never fully be able to put words to. We are swimming in the miraculous power and providence of God every single moment. Do you understand that right now God is performing a miracle in this theater? It's a sustaining miracle. It's not an intervening miracle, but that doesn't change the fact that it is itself a miracle. Let me show you what Ephesians says. Look at this verse. Ephesians says, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and he's through all and he is in all all. Whoa. This God is both transcendent. He is beyond us. He is more powerful than we could ever imagine. So that if he wants to insert himself into the system, he can certainly do that. If he wants to flick us in that direction, if he wants to offer healing, if he wants to hold, withhold healing, that's his prerogative because he exists outside of the system. And yet this same God is also what the Bible calls imminent. He is with us. He is for us. He is among you working every single day. You're sweating it. You're like, God, you got to give me a miracle. If I don't get some extra money, I'm not going to pay the bills. And you're ignoring all the countless miracles that God does every single moment of the day. This God is a miracle working God. And we want to be careful that we don't use a definition of miracle that is so limiting that God only shows up every once in a while to answer our prayers as if he were some sort of cosmic vending machine. God is at work miraculously in us and through us every single moment of the day.